Hello, and you are listening to East Leeds FM, the youth's red kite performance, not performance, but the radio show. Although it is a performance of sorts, right, Lanry? Yeah, in, 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 in some sense, I think. But, you know, we're broadcasting remotely across Leeds. I'm in Gipton. And where is everyone else? So, Tony? I'm sitting here in Heading, looking out at Otley Road, broadcasting from my home studio. How about you, Sam? Uh, I am in Swarcliffe at the moment. Uh, how about you, Aaron? I am currently in Seacroft, uh, broadcasting live. Right next to the chapel, actually. Next door, two houses down, two doors down, three doors down from the chapel. So Aaron is the only one of us who can actually see our home that we're all away from right now, the Chapel FM Art Center that we'll be moving back into uh, slowly over the autumn. It's been being renovated. We can't wait to see what the new expanded chapel is going to look like. But in the meantime, we are broadcasting remotely. And this is episode two of our brand new show, Red Kite. We've got one more episode uh, next Friday, and then we'll be making it a regular thing. Um, so we are group number four, chapter four of this week's show, which is the Next Gen Broadcasting Group, or some of them. Um, we've got some interesting features coming up. And, uh, but first, we're going to be hearing in just a little bit from uh, one of our broadcasters and an amazing musician, Paul McKendrick, talking about schools, life, the weird twists of, uh, of fate that can happen. The conversation we recorded a few days ago. Um, what did you all make of, of Paul before we hear him? He's, uh, Paul's an amazing musician. I've been playing for like 40 years and has this, quite a life story, things I'd never heard before. I think because um, back in November, was it in November? We did the Northern Man Festival, me and you, Tony. Um, yeah. We went and Paul was there roaming about with his guitar, just singing to random people. I, I swear I've got a photo of it somewhere and I just found it uh, interesting and, you know, seems like a nice bloke, really. And then after Paul, we're going to be back on. We're going to hear a conversation about Black Lives Matter uh, with Claude Hendrickson, who runs the Leeds West Indian Center. Uh, and it was an amazing radio maker in his own right, uh, going back into the days of pirate radio. And he's going to be talking with Kane Gopik, one of our uh, theater worker broadcaster as well. Um, then we're going to also be hearing um, from, speaking of radio, masters of radio, Phil Driscoll, who is the the guru behind all of our outside broadcasts and a host of ELFM's show from the band room. And then finally, to finish off the show, we're going to be taking you to virtual Leeds Playhouse radio drama, part of their New Views program. But uh, before we hear from Paul, schools. So what's, what's everyone expecting in the next few weeks when school starts up again? Anything that you're, you're sensing, looking forward to, confused about? Well, for me... Uh, it was results day yesterday. Oh, Jesus. It seems oh. like a taboo saying that. Um, I mean, it wasn't really a proper results day. It was just me getting my BTEC results from the exam I was supposed to have in May. Um, and, you know, I got lower than I thought I would, uh, which was a bit of a traumatising experience. Um, but, you know, what can we do? It's the government. Boris Johnson. You know, well, can, I ask you a quick, can I ask you a quick question on that, Lamry? Yep. Do you think you would have got a higher mark if you was able to actually sit the exam. Yeah, definitely, because I got mm. a distinction in my mock exam and I got a pass in this. And I was like, what? And I was like, you know, I was just, I was at least expecting a merit. But when I saw the P and I was like, well, I've been done dirty um, because, you know, it was a computer deciding my grade instead of my actual teachers who submitted my exam results, really. But, you know... What can we do? Well, and Sam, you find out your results, the GCSE is next week, right? Yeah, uh, uh, I get my GCSE results back uh, next Thursday. I can um, only wish you the best. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite nervous. With it. And Aaron, of course, you, you are way past all those days of having to worry about exam results, right? You're probably smiling listening to everybody have to have to worry about those. I'm a little bit, but only because I've been there. I've done it. You know, I've been, you know, chewed my fingernails off, like worrying about what results I'll get in. Well, and I never had to take GCSEs or A-levels or any of that because in the United States, it's a whole different system. Um, if you well, don't mind me asking, what is the A-level equivalent to, with, yeah, of, to America? 
you do um, SAT and ACT, at least that's how it was back in the day. It's changed probably some, but you just pick certain subjects that you want to take them for, and that's what colleges use. That's one of the things they use, or universities, I should say, to decide whether or not to admit you. So, and we'll be joined in a little bit by Joaria and by Harry, potentially. So, but first, let's, let's take it to Paul McKendrick, because Paul, one of the great things about Paul, he, he has a great way of just putting life in perspective, as we'll hear in a little bit from musician, broadcaster, uh, just general wandering gypsy poet, Paul McKendrick. So here he is, and then we'll be back in, in just a little bit. So next on Red Kite on East Leeds FM, we're joined by Paul McKendrick, host of Connections and lots of other projects and events at Chapel FM. Hello, Paul. Hello. So we're here with Aaron, Sam, Josh, for the time being, the Next Gen Group. Hello, hello. 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 When you was in school, did you always want to do what you're doing now? Did you always want to be this performer? I was born in Nottingham, at the age of two moved to Sheffield, at the age of four moved to Scarborough, at the age of five moved to York, at the age of six moved back to Scarborough, at the age of eight moved to Newcastle, at the age of nine moved back to Scarborough, and then when I was 11, I moved to Leeds. So you can imagine all the schools that go with that and the moving around and the new boy and all that stuff and fitting in. Fortunately, I had a twin sister, so I had an automatic friend. But by the end of it, I could walk into a school and judge how it was going to be like by the smell straight away, whether I was going to like it or not. So that my experiences are are to do with touch and taste and sounds and everything, you know, all this information that was thrown at us all the time. I knew at the age of 14, when my mum bought me a guitar, that's what I wanted to do. All the rest was irrelevant. I got the O-levels that I wanted um, because I knew I was going to be a musician. I got, and then from then it was a succession of day jobs here and there. Some lasted two weeks uh, for agencies, some lasted four or five years. But, but I knew from 14 that I wanted to to stand in front of people and play music. My school experience, I went to Foxwood in Seacroft, which um, I don't think is there. It got pulled down. It was um, comprehensive school, um, so it was well mixed. Um, uh, it was hard. Seacroft was was tough. So I learned how to keep my head down, not to you know, not to be above the parapet. Um, and you, kids are great survivalists, and I had been all through my early life, getting on at these new schools and that. So I used that, those techniques about ingratiation, about humour, about keeping your head down, um, and uh, I, I made my way through Foxwood Senior School. You uh, said you you said you knew what you wanted to do from the age of 14. Yeah. Um, did, did your school, like, was there stuff in place at your school for you to pursue that? Could you like do it as a, as a GCSE or? No, uh, uh, back in 72, 73, there was no um, guitar school or, or uh, Paul McCartney school or Lipper or you know, the Liverpool Institute. Uh, there, was, there was no educational lines for that. There was a formal music uh, that you could do classic, classical music, um, uh, you know, piano, grade one, two, three, four, five, six, up, and then you end up in London at some posh school. But uh, no, for rock and roll, uh, you you learned that craft um, through playing through pubs and clubs and all of that. There was no there was no pathway. There is now, and it's fantastic. There is now because my generation, us lot, said, "I wish I'd had this when I was a kid," and they've made that happen. Uh, I, I I I I never look further than. Uh, than a couple of days and I have never done so in my life I've never done that um, um, I've been around people who were here and not not here anymore so um, I, I love the present I'd love talking to you lot uh, tomorrow could get run over by a bus so uh, mental note to self don't go out tomorrow the beauty is it's lovely to have your your mind your mind changed where you where you predict and then you go wow this was not what I expected at all. You know, don't judge a book by its cover, all of those things. It's lovely to be surprised, to keep the open mind, to always have that ability to uh, to be in the now and, like I say, have your mind changed. Keep it open and go, I, I never thought of that before. You know, through Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and uh, all that stuff, even for me at, at 60, 63, what a fantastic education in the last five or six months for me. 
um, hearing stuff from a completely different perspective that I'd never thought about before um, and changing the way and some of the words I use simply because of, of what's been going on with that particular um, topic. Fantastic. Always learning. Always something new. Going, wow, this is great. So thank you, Paul, for coming to the Red Kite Show. Do you have any music that you'd like to play? Uh, Naya Grace. I've got a friend, Steve Crisanta, who's a producer, and he's just produced Naya Grace. N-Y-A-H and Grace, as in Grace and Favour. Naya Grace, she's a new neo-soul singer. She's got she's got a throat of Billie Holiday um, and uh, Alicia Keys. But uh, as a songwriter, I think she's 17, 18 now way ahead of her time. Great language, great diction, uh, great thought processes. So if you've got some, if you find me some Naya Grace, then I would love that. She's just written a song by Lee's artist, Corinne Bailey Ray, called My Sister Told Me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'd love to hear that. It's a beautiful song, great delivery. Keep smiling, kids. Good to talk to you. Bye. Thank you. Adios. Bye. She says, hey, hey, Ben, I'm good, just tripping on literally everything There's no point in saying what I'm feeling, I ain't ill But I need a little healing, don't know what the hell I should believe in huh. In my dreams, I think that I'm falling My sister told me this would happen sometimes by Grace Nyer and Karen Bailey Ray, who is a singer from Leeds. And uh, that followed the interview with Paul McKendrick. Now, uh, myself, Tony and uh, Aaron uh, was, were part of the people that asked the questions to Paul. Uh, Aaron, what did you uh, like most about the interview? Oh, I, I, liked, um, I liked Paul because Paul did all the work for us. We just asked him a small question and he rattled on. And I love that sort of interview because that means we can relax a bit. We can settle back a bit and listen to them. And I kind of like that. Yeah, Paul uh, is definitely. an amazing storyteller. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to say, Sam? Uh, I, I, I liked how he uh, described how he, like, goes around, he went around schools and how he'd uh, realised what the school was going to be like just from, like, the smell and that was really uh, interesting. That was my favourite quote, that the, the, the quote from the interview for me was definitely, I could tell what the school was like by the smell. Brilliant stuff. 
In just a minute, we're going to be hearing an interview about Black Lives Matter, also recorded earlier by one of our broadcasters, theater artist Kane Gapik. Um, and then we'll be having Phil Driscoll, radio, radio guru, who's really the person who helped bring us into this broadcasting remotely during coronavirus lockdown place that we're in, along with the, the trusty Elliot Moon, who's making today's broadcast all happen. Um, but first, I want to say a quick hello to another one of our next-gen broadcasters who just joined us. Jawari, are you there? Yeah. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Great. I know you've got a house full of, of kids, which now we can hear some of them a little bit in the background there. Oh. And that's um, great. That's part of broadcasting from our locations. Where are you broadcasting from? What part of Leeds? Uh, York Road. Fantastic. <laughs> and how does it feel to be making radio from your house? Feels, feels amazing. It's, like, it's a new experience for me because I'm pretty new to next gen broadcasting. I only joined like last year. Fantastic. So I'm one of the newest members. And we were talking about schools and we we're talking about Lan Ray getting his A levels and Sam waiting for his GCSEs. How are you feeling about the idea of getting back to school after all these months of lockdown? Well, since I am waiting for my GCSEs too. Mm. And it's all just like really crazy and I'm a bit nervous after like what I've heard about what happened in Scotland, how like the exam boards have lowered the results and a lot of people like started failing. But like, this just feels really crazy to like actually know that I'll be going back to school because it's been like almost six months. It's hard months, actually. to believe. Well, maybe by next Friday, by the third episode of Red Kite, We'll be celebrating happy GCSE results for, for, for some of y'all, uh, or all of you. Um, great. Well, next up, we're going to go to, we've had a Black Lives Matter, some interesting conversations. The writers touched on it, the, the, the other broadcasting group did. And now we've got a really interesting interview, just a bit of an interview. It's, it's a full, the full interview is an hour long. We'll be posting on Red Kite as a bonus feature, but it's with our very own Kane Gavick talking to Claude Hendrickson and Claude runs the Leeds West Indian Center and is a longtime community activist in the Chapeltown area. So this is a bit of that conversation. Um, Claude is also though a veteran of pirate radio, which we could have a whole conversation about. But anyone know what pirate radio was? Is that like illegal, not supposed to be on the air, uh, just hijacking FM? Yeah, this is, this yeah. is, we're talking like back in the day in like the 70s and 80s, there was a whole movement of people like setting up including radio on, on ships, offshore broadcasting, uh, but also in communities. And Leeds had a really interesting history of pirate radio, which Claude was, was part of. Um, and it was putting you know, music and stories that wouldn't make it onto mainstream radio. So uh, he touches on it a little bit in his interview, uh, in, in the big interview. So, all right, so let's hear Kane and Claude talking about some of what's going on in the, in the world today politically. Here they are. So next... Uh, hi everybody, we're here on East Leeds FM. Should we just do some quick introductions? I'm Claude Hendrickson, um, been a member of the Chapeltown community for over the last 50 years. So I have many stories about Chapeltown, living in Chapeltown, passing through Chapeltown. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Gaffey. I'm only 23, so I don't have as many stories, but I do have a lot of opinions. Today we're coming together and we just thought, you know, the movement of the moment is Black Lives Matter is recently, you know, swept the world yeah. again uh, and I think it'd be like a good place to talk about things because there's so many different conversations to be had within the banner of it right so it's that thing I think that is definitely historically is you know when it comes to music and fashion and everything uh, black culture has always kind of been in or at least mm. it's always been in for you know my life it's from mm. blues yeah. going into you know rock soul jazz hip-hop rap, anything you can think about, black culture has always kind of been on the forefront. I remember once hearing um, a spoken word poet saying uh, that they love black music, but they hate black people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, I think of like definitely an American sentiment with the hate, but there's definitely that that feeling of black, black people historically, you know, they give their culture and it's the best way for them you know, it's almost like trading something, right? Mm. Uh, we'll we'll give you music, we'll give you fashion, we'll give you slang. Jesus, half of slang is uh, you're made by black people. 
Uh, and in return, maybe you'll, you know, won't won't hate us as much. Yeah, I, I think I think after trying to steal it from us, they, you know, after trying to steal, you know, steal music even in America, oh, yeah. even after trying to steal it from us, Elvis, some of the big artists that came out of America were stealing music from black people. Um, that's why you see years later, many of them artists getting their royalties back. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, even, you know, it, it's funny when you said that, because I posted that on my Facebook the other day, it's funny how they, they love our culture, but they don't love us as a people. Um, they love everything. They love our food. They love our music. They love our islands, they love going holidays there, but they still don't embrace us as people. It's, it's quite crazy. Um, they, they love everything about us, but <laughs> they don't love us. <laughs> it, it's, it's, all, it's almost like, um, you know, they want an artist class or something, right? Like, mm. you go make stuff, give it to us, and, you know, maybe we'll, like, be a bit better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you've got you've got to think of the black person's experience. You know, we've we've minded their children. We've looked after. You know, I, I was watching a program on um, on BBC Four last night about the NHS and the black people that came to save the NHS and the nurses that were there and 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 they were most of them had to go through being midwives, and that meant they were delivering. Even though white women didn't want them to touch them sometimes, they were delivering that new generation. But that new generation hates the midwives. And it's quite funny. You know, I, I often say when I was young, the midwife that probably delivered me was, was a white lady. So, because um, I was born in England and she used to come to our house. That made me like white people. It didn't make me hate, hate her because she was coming and looking after me. So, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, like the NHS wouldn't exist without the Windrush generation. That's right. Um, and NHS nurses are still, um, you know, black people are twice like the population level as nurses. So like, there's still like this really black culture within nursing. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, as a young, as a young um, black boy, um, one of the first things I learned. Sometimes when I say it, I think, wow, well, that's a weird thing. The first thing I learned is that the difference between Irish people, Scottish people, Welsh people, and English people, that was the, one of the first things I had to learn because the Irish kids would play with you in the streets, but the, the, the English kids and the Scottish kids would stay back and they wouldn't play with you. So you, you, But you just saw them as white. You didn't see them as where they were from, but then later on you realise, oh, they were Irish, you know. I just yeah. saw them as white kids that I was kicking the football in the street with, but they were actually Irish. The English kids wouldn't play with you. And then the Scottish kids started playing because you realise that there was a, a kind of racism going on between the English and the Irish and the English and the Scottish that... You weren't aware of, but as you got older, you started to understand. So my first babysitter was an Irish lady, you know, um, that lived across the road from my mom. And I, I still, up to this day, get on fantastically with her kids. Um, but yeah, you know, there was the, the, you know, the Irish word, the scourge, so to speak. So you could say black people took took the heat off the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> which is a strange thing, but it's a fact. But I, I think there is something that like you've just brought up, which I think links to something which I actually wanted to ask about. Um, so one of like the big things a lot of people might be hearing at the moment with BLM is to decolonize the curriculum. Um, and I think it's one of the more abstract things that people like hear the slogan, but they're not super sure on what it means. Yeah, decolonialize. De 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 I mean, I was part of a project called the, the Leeds Bicentenary Project, which I was the director of that for a period of time. And the Leeds Bicentenary Project was a project that was done in 2007 um, to, to, to commemorate 
200 years since the abolition of the Slave Trade Act. And one of the things we created and was looking at was how could, because we, 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 we say um, African Caribbean history needs to be taught in schools. And you're right, it does need to be taught, but then the schools will say, well, what part of history should we be teaching? So what we, ha we did, we put together an educational pack, a massive pack. We spent a lot of money on it. And we gave it out to 300 schools in, in the city because we said, you're right. If we want you to teach black history, we have to get the resources, build the resources so that you have got the resources to teach. Um, because it takes me back when I went to school, it, it sticks in my mind. My history teacher taught me um, that black people should be grateful that the British took them out of slavery. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of believed that until I got later on in life that we were, and I found out we were kings and queens before we were slaves. But it, it, yeah, I think that the, the educational thing is a, is, is a true thing. If young white kids, young indigenous children are hearing positive things about the history of black people, not just enslavement, you were slaves, but you were actually kings and queens and you had empires before, then it, it creates a bit of mutual respect. Education is, is, is a cornerstone um, of changing perceptions on people. That's something I'm very passionate about. I think people underestimate the youth. Teach them, let them have a think about, you know, what it is. be able to stay home brother you will not be able to plug in turn on and cop out you will not be able to lose yourself on skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised the revolution will not be televised the revolution will not be brought to you by xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions the revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow because black Hello and welcome back to the Red Kite Show. And if you want to listen again to the Red Kite Show, you can go to our website. You can find it on all good platforms. And now we're going to talk to sort of the man behind the curtain, uh, and like a wizard on the soundness. We're going to talk to Phil. Phil, are you there? I'm here. Hello there. Hi, Aaron. Hello, Phil. Now, obviously, I know who you are, but for everyone else listening and who maybe not know you as as well as I do, could you just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Well, I'm just this guy from Crosscase. Uh, I uh, I'm a computer programmer um, by day these days, but prior to being a computer programmer. I was a sound engineer at the BBC making radio programmes for Radio 1, 2, 3, 4, little bit of telly um, and 
so I had a, a very good sort of background in the sort of engineering, technical side of all that, fantastic training at the BBC. Um, uh, and so since I've stopped doing that, I, I still uh, use those skills. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm a musician, I play in various bands and I end up doing the PA and recordings and uh, all that technical side of stuff. And for the last few years, also been helping out at East Leeds FM. And am I right in thinking that you have your own show on East Leeds FM? Yeah, I produce and engineer a programme called From the Band Room, where in normal times, every month we go visit a brass band in their own band room, record some music, interview the conductor, various players and helpers and stuff like that. And so we do an hour's programme uh, every month on that. But obviously, since all this lockdown started, um, we've we've kept the programme going, but we've been recording online uh, collaborations between musicians in bands and doing the interviews online uh, and putting the show together that way. But this week, for the first time since March, we've actually been able to record a professional group because uh, only professionals are allowed to play together at the moment. Um, so the programme that goes out at the end of August will actually have real music recorded uh, this well, in fact, recorded a couple of days ago. And uh, just one last question before I open it up to everyone else to ask questions. Um, you just said there that you, you went to record a live band in in the current sort of situation that's going on. How was that? Did that differ to what you usually did? Uh, oh yeah. Um, normally, um, we record a full brass band, which is about twenty five people in a room. And, of course, social distancing still applies. So the, a room where we would normally have a full brass band and an audience, uh, we completely occupied with just six players, uh, all distanced apart. Um, and so there was, there was all the business of keeping people apart for, safe, for the safety issue of it all. But um, it also meant that they weren't arranged in the normal way a band would be. So instead of being able to do a stereo recording of the band, more or less on two microphones, we had to have separate microphones on each player because they weren't near each other. Um, so it was a, a much more complicated setup than normal, even though there were only six people. Well, that sounds really interesting. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to open up to the rest of the group. And uh, do they have any questions for Phil? Like starting radio. Uh, well, how did I start? Um, when I was at school, I was at Corpus Christi School down on Halton Moor, and I was all geared up to study engineering at university. I was dead interested in car design, uh, and so I'd lined up a course for doing that at Loughborough. I'd got sponsored by. Leyland Vehicles, um, who uh, used to make lorries and buses and stuff like that. Um, and I was all geared up to do that. And then in the sixth form, uh, they sort of opened up um, a drama studio with a sound control room. And I got really, really, really interested in tape recordings, mixing desks and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so after about a year of doing the... Uh, auto engineering I decided no I want to do this uh, something to do with sound and it was at a time when breakfast TV was just starting now you will you'll hardly even believe how little the telly used to be on during the day it was on for like an hour at lunchtime and then it didn't come on again until late afternoon and uh, the BBC just started doing breakfast TV and it meant they needed more people. Um, so there was a bit of a recruitment drive and I applied for one of the positions that came up. Um, it was to be just a, a general sound person rather than working on breakfast TV. Uh, but I got that and then um, jumped, jumped ship from university and went to the BBC 
what's now called the BBC Academy, it was called the BBC Engineering Training Department, but for an education in, in radio that was just second to none, just the best place to go. So now, over the last months, we, we Phil also helped engineer this little revolution at East Leeds FM. Anyone want to ask about that coronavirus time? Um, so, uh, how how have, how did you go about getting East Leeds FM onto the actual FM airways during the coronavirus time? Okay, well, um, there was... One was a kind of finding a motivation to do it. My motivation really was that my mum's 80, all her friends are 80, hardly any of them are on the internet. And at the start of lockdown, you'll remember, it was just difficult to get hold of food. Uh, it was difficult to, you know, toilet rolls were the issue at the start. But for older people, it was too, you know, they were locked down in houses. It was too dangerous for them to go shopping. And I was worried that... The ones that aren't on the internet and aren't getting information, how are they going to know what numbers they have to phone to get a volunteer to do shopping for them and stuff like that? And uh, I knew that in the uh, behind the organ loft um, in the chapel, we had an FM transmitter, and if we could turn that on, we'd be able to get a signal out to these people who aren't on the internet. And then the other problem was... How do you do this without people being in the studios? Um, it's not that long ago that to do the kind of thing we're doing now on this programme would have involved literally thousands of pounds worth of specialist lines and connections between all the places. But the internet has just about got good enough that there are technologies now where we can do high-quality audio remotely. So I mugged up on all that uh, and came in with a proposal that, you know, we should do, we should get the transmitter turned on, use these technologies like the stuff we're talking through now um, and do radio programmes, well, not specifically for, but uh, especially for older listeners who haven't got internet access and who will be struggling to find out what was going on and how to get help in, in the current situation. So, uh, luckily, um, everybody at East Leeds FM was sort of very motivated and everybody pulled together and, you know, we did several months of what was for most of us really hard work. You know, I, I was up at five o'clock every single day um, and we didn't, often didn't turn the kind of turn the transmission off until 10, half 10 at night. So um, long days, hard slog, but very, very worthwhile. It was an amazing experience. And anyone out there listening to this show, to Red Kite, first of all, this show wouldn't be happening the way that it is if it wasn't for the structure that Phil and the rest of the staff, but especially Phil, put together. But also all those programs, so 12 weeks worth I counted up the hours a while back, I forget, I think it was close to close to 400 hours worth of really well-made radio programs, interviews, music recordings from musicians performing in their living rooms, all kinds of features, writing, conversations with people all over the world. All of that is also all archived on the, the East Leeds FM, Chapel FM website. And actually, we found out a while back, the British Library has asked us to give them like 100 hours of those programs to put in their giant vault archive to be safeguarded for the future so so a thousand years from now some some futuristic researcher wanting to understand what life was like under coronavirus will be able to to get access to uh, east leeds fm uh, uh staying close radio broadcast which is really exciting um but so a huge thanks to phil one last question anybody want to ask phil what uh, what's next phil Sorry, I didn't Sorry, catch that. Over spot there. Um, I asked what's next. For, for well, for, for me, um, I, I, until the sort of emergency situation changes, um, it's hard to do something that's radically different. I, I, I want to keep on 
making the uh, the brass band program. But when we get back to um, some kind of normality, and particularly when we can go and get into the chapel, I really want to introduce some very focused training because we've got loads of volunteers who um, who come along want to learn how to make radio programs and uh, coping with the current situation has sort of really highlighted what it is that everybody should know in order to make community good quality community radio so i've got a list as long as your arm of, of things i'd like us to all start learning and and uh uh, this is the volunteers who can, but also the the East Leeds FM staff, the people at the chapel, because they end up doing training for people. And you know, I just want everybody to be sort of very well skilled, so that when the next emergency comes, we've got loads of people who can muck in doing this stuff um, instead of just a fairly small number that we had this time round. Well, thank you, Phil, on so many levels. Thank you, Phil, and we can't wait. We are. Incredibly, incredibly lucky to have Phil Driscoll in particular be part of the, the wider East Leeds FM community and that training when the chapel reopens. And for listeners out there, the chapel renovations are on schedule. It's due to be completed uh, this autumn and we'll be slowly making our way back in, of course, taking into account coronavirus and those issues. So thanks for joining us, Phil. You're very welcome. Thank you, Tony. And we're going to head into our final feature. So I think some folks are going to be leaving, but thank you, Joaria. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Lanre. Thank you, Aaron, uh, for joining for this conversations. The final feature for this week's show is we're going to go to Leeds Playhouse and do a little radio drama. And this is Leeds Playhouse doing a project called New Views. And they came to us, East Leeds FM, and asked us to help them record. They were going to stage these in the Playhouse itself for radio dramas by young playwrights. Then, of course, lockdown came in, and they decided, let's get in touch with East Leeds FM and ask if they can turn these into radio plays. So this is the second of the four we'll be broadcasting. And we're going to hear from the playwright, uh, Victoria, first, and then we're going to hear her play, and then we'll be back for just a few final announcements. So here is Leeds Playhouse and New Views. So coming up next on Red Kite here on East Leeds FM, we're going to be hearing the next of the Leeds Playhouse New View radio dramas. And coming up in a little bit, we're going to hear the, the radio play called We Haven't Lived. But first, we're going to be talking with the playwright who's joining us. And this is Victoria Policarpo. So hello, Victoria. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Great. So, so first... Uh, six months ago, when you first started this project, I guess, had you written any plays before? Uh, I write mainly poetry. Um, not, I don't really like to rhyme my poetry. I've written stuff for um, my school. I wrote a play called The Quill, about the AIDS quill, which actually won in my uh, secondary school. So tell us about the process of working with New Views, with, uh, with Tess and Tom and others, and how the play evolved. When you started, you didn't know it was going to be a radio drama. It was going to be a done on yeah. stage. So what was that I, like? Originally my play was going to be about Brazilian culture because my family, my parents are from Brazil. Um, but then I kind of realized that I kind of have a sort of weird version of that in my house. It's very mixed in my house and also where we live in Leeds. Um, it's quite hard to kind of get that sort of sense of Brazilian community. It's easier to get it in London. Um, so I kind of went into what I kind of knew, which was about AIDS activism and the AIDS crisis but working with Tess she kind of helped steer me on the right road because I was in the car I knew how to drive I just didn't know which way to go um so uh it was about characterization she did a lot of stuff about how a set can say a lot but also say quite quite little which for me I feel like a set shouldn't really be a big thing so turning it into a radio drama was kind of easy I guess I just had to make stuff a lot more explicit because when you're on the stage you can quite explicitly with your eyes see that there is a relationship between two characters through proxemics through through how they look at each other how they hold hands or whatever it can be um but i think it's not as, it's not as hard as people think it's just a bit more of a strain um and with the other writers i think what you have i think the listeners will hopefully see that you have such a diverse and beautiful range of storytellers 
all of us have this sort of story that we have to tell is not just about ourselves or the characters but about how we think about the world around us so if we haven't lived i genuinely believe that like stigma is a thing that exists not just within not just with hiv but with also just communities stereotypes exist and i feel like if we address it at a young age um especially with experiences that i've had with people stereotyping me due to my heritage um we can help prevent that in the future but i i it, it's a very difficult thing to talk about i know but i think with some a young person writing a play for young people it makes it a lot easier i guess and all that work really shows in the play and also the, the <laughs> research that you did i mean you clearly know i mean to just dive back into to 1980s and later oh, yeah. we'll talk about some of the influences and Definitely. where you did the research maybe first just give the audience a little sense of the situation some of the characters because we're only hearing an excerpt of the play yeah. Uh, so tell us about Toby and Belle and Keith and what everyone this whole world. The whole gang. Yeah. So um, the play opens in the hospital room in A in A and E. Um, in the eighties, I haven't specifically said what year because honestly, it's very difficult with timelines and stuff, and also because I'm not really taught much about it in school. But Toby is fifteen, sixteen years old. He is a massive bookworm, which he gets from me. <laughs> And he um, got he, he contracted HIV by a blood transfusion, similar to the actual true life story of Ryan White. Mm -hmm. um, and he gets kids find out they beat beat the living daylights out of him, and he ends up in A and E. And Belle is the only nurse that will actually speak to him and treat him like a human being, which again I think speaks absolute volumes. And what's so interesting is hearing about how some of these same dynamics between classmates and teachers who maybe aren't so helpful they reoccur throughout history. In this case, it was about, you know, the AIDS yeah, epidemic, definitely. but I think the same kinds of dynamics come up around different issues today, whether it's, you know, about race or gender or whatever it may be. So yeah, seeing those parallels are really interesting. How did the different actors, when you heard their voices, you know, you wrote these characters, they were in your head, and then suddenly hearing them, how was that experience? I'm going to make something. I always cried. <laughs> Because obviously, um, I was always told that a writer's worst fear is both having someone read their work, but also someone not reading their work. So I took the lesser of two evils. Someone actually read my work, and I felt kind of I felt extremely blessed. Um, it's a very humbling experience for someone to go. I've taken the time out of my life to read and record and say what you've written, and for me, I've never had the chance to do. It. And the actors are amazing. Like. Um, the boy who plays Toby just is he's beautiful is absolutely beautiful and I think all of them like have married into this sense of just working well with each other playing off of each other and they all share that responsibility incredibly well and again I'm very humbled and thrilled and very emotional about it because you know I've, I've been writing since I was in year four so to have someone actually read, read myself out loud like immensely just overwhelming in a good way so yeah so tell us a bit about the research. If I remember right, are the characters' names inspired? Oh, yeah. Or it wasn't Keith, Keith Herring and other... Yeah, others? so um, I'm massively um, into like queer fiction and into just really diverse books. So Toby's after Toby Darling from Matthew Lopez's The Inheritance, which is like, I would describe it as a queer third-person version of Howard's End by Ian Foster. The hope that he stands for in this last monologue of his is something that I can implement into my Toby. Keith is after Keith Herring. Um, you're obviously not going to see this um, to the people who are listening to this, but my wall is covered in Keith Herring art. Um, I got into the topic of AIDS activism through Keith Herring's work on a playbook for a musical called Falsettos. And I think um, Herring's work, his ability to be very adult but very child-friendly is something that's very important. And I think everything that he stood for was just so important and it still stands today. Dodie is after Dodie Clark, she's actually alive so I'm probably going to tweet this to her. <laughs> so she's a, she's a bisexual musician and she write, she write, she's written some of my favourite songs. And for anyone listeners who don't know Keith Haring's work, you've probably seen it even if you don't realise it because it's, yeah. it's very iconic. So last, just let's talk a, a bit about the future, both some of your hopes and plans for the future, but also the future of theatre and what you hope for, what you're excited about with theatre coming back. Right now is, I think right now kind of shows the true colours of the people who call theatre, like British theatre, I think, is some of the best theatre in the world. 
The first play I ever saw was from the National Theatre at the New New London Theatre, and it was War Horse, by, directed by Marion Elliott. The mm-hmm. first play I ever saw, and from that day on, I fell in love. And I was, what, 11, 12 years old. I'm now 17 years old, and I've written a full-third play. So if that doesn't say, so if you can't say that theatre doesn't change people, motivate people, for me it has. Don't think of theatre as this sort of like rich, posh snob thing. It's not. I'm a working class kid whose family are immigrants and I've written a 20 page play. It's anyone can do theatre. You just have to write, find the right type of theatre for you. So, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, so, so thanks so much, Victoria. Do you want any last brief shout out to your cast of um, actors? Or to shout out to my cast. You all are absolutely brilliant. Um, if you're listening to this when it comes up, thank you so much. It literally means like the entire world and then, then some more to me. To my mum, because she's obviously, you know, single mum to three kids and she's doing her best and I just love her so much. Um, to my sister as well, because she's going to uni in September and I'm going to miss her. So Olivia, if you're listening to this, I'm going to miss you. Um, please don't do anything fun when you're in London. Wait for me when I come next year. Yeah. Um, to, I guess, this, um, I guess to Simone Garrett, who wrote Full Disclosure, which was my main inspiration for this. Um, and David France, who wrote How to Survive a Plague, and Ma- Matthew Lopez and Tony Krushner for writing The Inheritance and Angels in America. Well, thank you to Tess. I think I should say thanks to Tess. Thank you, Tess. You did a thing. You helped me with the thing. But And Tom and everyone at the Playhouse. Um, again, you kind of walk, you welcomed a stranger with loving arms since two years ago into a place where I can kind of feel like I'm me and I'm myself. And, you know, for someone moving from such a big such a big change in my life it's an absolute blessing and I don't know where I would be I would probably be kind of handling lockdown a lot worse and writing a lot worse poems that are a lot more depressing and distressing to read but um just thank you to everyone at the playhouse and my dog as well because my dog's kind of kept me company as well Oscar I love you <laughs> thank you Victoria and now thank you. here is the play so thanks for joining us here on Red Kite radio show and podcast from East Leeds FM so, what's happened this time? What does it look like? I have to ask legally, you know. Fine then. I got jumped at school. In the dining hall. How many? As many as there were last time. Same six kids? Yeah. And the school are doing... Are not doing anything. Like last time. I thought they'd changed the policy. Take this gown and get changed. Yeah, back to the old one. And of course, no one is fighting my corner. Well, what about me? D- this is different. I know that, but I still fight for you. It's different. Define different, please. <sighs> different in the sense that you're not my uncle or a teacher who, or someone who's seen what happened. You're paid to see and defuse the aftermath. Not paid much, but I see your point. <laughs> Stay still. Ouch. I know. Is the teacher still outside? Maybe she left. Why would she leave? Remember last time? No, oh, I see. Exactly. Don't even bother checking. Just skiving. Skiving? Legged it. Ran off. Well, everything looks fine, bar an infection on your leg. Fuck. Language, Turby. English. Anyways, you ought to rest. You can do some work whilst you rest. Like your English work. But I don't want to do my... no lying. It stains your soul. I just hate my English essays. So why did they, you know... Take a guess. Uh Yeah. Well, okay then. How about you go and get some rest, and I'll go and hunt that teacher down for you. Thank you. This is a serious matter. I understand that, but Toby is at fault. He should have kept quiet about this whole... He has. He was talking to the nurse, you know. You know what? I'm keeping him at home. Fine. I was already planning to exclude Toby indefinitely, Mr. Lanes. I'll send his schoolwork on to you. Your conduct 
is disgraceful. We don't take kindly to kids like Toby, fortunately. Maybe he'll learn not to be a sick little... Stop! This is outrageous. He hasn't done a thing wrong. Let the kid live. Well, we cannot afford to take risks, sir. Especially with children like Toby. He's a hazard. A hazard? To what? Toby, darling. Come on. I made your favourite. Mac and cheese. Toby. We just want to give you a hug. And talk about that book you have. I know, Auntie. So how's the book, pal? Good, Uncle. He's nicked the bride again. Again? He seems like a prick to me. Can't get a last the normal way, so he nicks someone else's. No, it's not like that. Please, let's be civil about Ibsen on the table. And eat. We both need it. Uh. Uh Hmm. AZT. So uh, next week, what time? Any time will do. He's being kicked out of school. Oh. But maybe half twelve? He usually hauls himself out of bed by ten. Sounds good. On the topic of Turby, how is he? Shit. Define. He hardly is seen out of his room, he never speaks to us, and he doesn't feel like he's engaged with Dodie and I. Oh, well that's not good. Yeah. So, next week, half twelve. That's all sorted. See you then, Mr Lenz. So, AZT, how's it working? It's working, to say the least. The least? Come on, Toby. Talk to me. They aren't here to put words in your mouth. Fine. Um, I feel funny whenever I stand up, like, light-headed. And I found a rash on my arms, and I can't stop itching them, and I found blisters on my fingers. Look. Okay. From what I can see, that's normal for people on AZT. They're still figuring out the kinks and whatnot. So, do not stop taking it, okay? Okay. I've been trying to reorganise all my comics and sets and stuff. It's been hard to keep track of everything. But Teddy says on my bed with my copy of Pia. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to hear, Toby. By the way, you're getting through pay well. It's okay. My annotations aren't really annotations anymore, just the word dick next to a highlighted segment. <laughs> Interesting. Are you going outside by any chance? Uh, not really. I only really go out when Dodie feels like gardening and it's sunny. She likes to chat and laugh as we sit outside. Okay, that's good. Why are you asking? Because going outside is good for you. Helps you feel better and your school dance is coming up. You should go. You're having a laugh. I'm not. Open the box. What's this? It's a corsage. You wear it on your wrist like, like a bracelet. Give me your hand. After this, go home and get dressed fancy. Then go to the dance and have fun. Go and be a teen again. They won't let me in, you know. Oh, hide in a group or something like that. I just think you should go. Have fun for once, okay? Okay. Wow, this looks awesome. Everyone looks great and, whoa, her hair. Must have taken a lot of hairspray to get it that high. Is that Toby? Oh my god, get him out! What is that doing here? Kick him out before he spits on my dress! Ew, get him out! out. No, no, you don't understand. I'm here to have fun. Come on, this sounds like a great beat. I won't even touch any of you if that means I can stay here, please. Just go! We don't need AIDS in our school. (laughs) Oh, he's collapsed. Don't, don't touch him. He might infect you. (sighs) 
Toby was played by Rowan Green. Belle was played by Shauna McSwinney. Keith was played by Jonathan Price. The head teacher was played by Rashali Lakani. Dodie was played by Ellen Karnatza. Classmates were played by Amelia Jeeves and Shreya Patel. The writer was Vittoria Policarpo. The play was directed by Tess Seddon, supported by Tom Dransfield. Audio editing by Rosie Parsons. A Leeds Playhouse and Chapel FM production with the National Theatre's New Views. Thanks to Sarah Rish Mahmood, Alex Ferris, Amy Lancelot, Shreena Gobi, Gemma Woffenden at Leeds Playhouse and Jane Ball and Sarah Eastaff at National Theatre. So that was Leeds Playhouse uh, doing one of the four radio dramas that we recorded and we broadcasting here on East Leeds FM. We Haven't Lived by Victoria Policarpo. And we are at the end, or almost at the end, of episode two of Red Kite. And it's been an action-packed show. I'm here still with Aaron and Sam. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Sam. Hello. 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 So before we head off, first of all, Aaron, tell the good listeners how, if they want to follow us on social media and all the rest of that, how they can do that. So I'm sure someone will correct me if I get this wrong, but it's hashtag Chapel FM. Is it? Is it? That is. Hey, so, I got it right. Twitter, so, uh, Facebook. Well, Facebook is at yep. Chapel FM, but Chapel FM is yeah. all the way. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can get updates, uh, photographs of our walk. We have one more walk on the, the, the white back, our wild walks, where we're gathering audio and sounds and all the rest of it. And uh, we'll and be putting out information. What... Mm. Go ahead. I was just going to say, do tell us what you thought of the show on there, and you never know, we might even read some out. Absolutely. And anyone else mm. listening, too, if you want to get involved when Chapel, when we start up again in the autumn... Uh, in September, October, we'll be running radio courses, uh, theater group, writing, music, all the rest of that. And there's lots of ways to get involved as we, because we'll keep carrying forward Red Kite in the months to, months to come. So I've got a few thanks to read out, and then Sam is going to take it away with the final song that he chose. So first of all, huge thanks to Elliot Moon, who's been behind the scenes making all this happen, and all the rest of the Chapel FM gang. I won't read off all the names because there's so many to thank, but amongst the staff, Katie, Sean, Elliot, Peter, uh, for the other four sections. Thanks to Healthy Holidays and Leeds Community Foundation. They helped helped also fund us, but also connect us up with all these other young groups around Leeds that are doing projects this summer. iGen Trust, the Peers Foundation, uh, Housing Authority Project, Arts Council England, National Lottery and Youth Music. We have we have so many friends out there in the world helping us do this show and everything else here at East Leeds FM, Chapel FM. So Sam, you picked the final song. Tell us about what you got for us. I did. And uh, before, before I tell you the song, I'm going to say uh, thank you, Tony, for leading the Next Generation broadcast, the final part of today's Red Kite podcast. I'm also going to say uh, you can tune in next week at the same time to listen to episode three of Red Kite. Now... To end uh, this episode, uh, I was told that I should find a upbeat song to finish on. So I scrolled through my, my playlist on Spotify and I found the first upbeat song I could find. And it is Mountain Sound by Of Monsters and Men.
Sleep until the sun.